It's Flat Out RC time. Welcome back. Andrew Sills, my name. This is the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. Well, my voice is a bit funny today. It's a bit deeper. Anyway, I think I'm losing my voice. It's all right. I don't have COVID. Don't have, haven't been tested, but I don't have COVID. I can tell you now, don't have COVID. Well, still in lockdown, not going to harp on that. We all know that uh, we're doing it tough down here in Australia at the moment in a few states. New South Wales, shut, Victoria continues to be shut. But the world of aero modelling continues to push ahead. And I've got another good episode for you uh, with a special guest coming up, uh, Ray Melton, all the way from South Australia. Ray is amazing scratch builder, scale builder, and, uh, and a glider guy as well. So we're going to cover a lot of ground. But before we get to Ray... I've got some important special offer news for you, so stay tuned. I do have a very special offer for you. Now, this very special offer is coming from RC World. Now, you may have heard of the uh, the retailer, the hobby retailer RC World, if you're in Australia, located down here in Victoria in the regional city of Geelong. And RC World is owned by Eddie Edwards, who's been on this podcast. And Eddie's a, a known name around the traps. He was very big in the pattern flying scene back in the 80s and maybe even to the 90s. Uh, but uh, great bloke, Eddie. Uh, really loves the hobby and has been running this hobby shop for many, many, many years and toy store, of course. Uh, and I was talking to him the, uh, during the week and he said he's got a special offer for the Flat Out RC podcast listeners. And that is around a range of engines that they're now uh, distributing and bringing into the country, and that is NGH Engines. Now, NGH Engines are a company comes out of China, been around since 2010, and they're a specialist manufacturer of two-stroke and four-stroke petrol engines, or gases, whatever you like to call them, petrol engines. Uh, their their two-stroke range covers every size from 9, 9cc all the way up to 70cc. So you've got things like, you know, the uh, 35ccs and things like that. Uh, they have a four-stroke range as well. And that four-stroke range goes from 30cc to 60cc. I think there's three motors in the, in the four-stroke range. Yeah, there's a 30, a 38, and a 60. Two-stroke covers a nine a 17, a 25, a 35, uh, a 35 rear exhaust and a, uh, a twin 70, which looks really nice. I'll tell you what looks really, really nice is they've got an inline twin 60cc, a four-stroke. Uh, now, Eddie tells me that the quality is great. He, he, he really loves them. But these NGH engines, they do something a little bit different to a lot of manufacturers that are making those petrol engines where they've all moved towards sort of this rear carby kind of setup. But most of their engines uh, are a front-facing carby. And I actually really like that idea. I think it's a really good idea because it's in the airflow a bit more. Uh, it makes the engine nice and compact so it's not elongated and sticking out the back and you've got to worry about, you know, you know cutting out firewalls and things like that. So you keep everything uh, easily accessible right up the front there. Uh, and they're using Walbro carby, so good stuff. They also manufacture UAV engines for the um, for the commercial market. Um there's an email just pops in. Anyway, not related to the hobby, so don't worry about that. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, they make um, 
you know, the the twin engine has the carby right in the center, um, sort of at the bottom of the engine. Uh, hard to explain, but it's not at the rear, it's at the uh, in the center, sort of facing down. They come with carbies. Uh, apparently, the carby technology is quite good, gives it a nice, good sound. So, NGH engines, you can have a look at them online, of course, search them up. But the special offer is this Eddie really wants to get these motors happening in the Australian market, and he's offering. Flat out RC listeners, a 10% discount on all NGH engines for a limited time. So getting quick, if you're working on a project, you want you want a, a sweet sounding four stroke for that scale build, or you know, you're you're building that 30cc uh, aerobatic plane, you want to put a 35cc in it, then take a look at the NGH range of motors. So to get the 10% discount, all you need to do is use out this code. Flat out NGH, F L A T O U T N G H. One word, no spaces. Flat out NGH. That's what you need to use. When you get to the checkout, you'll see a little box to apply a coupon. Put that flat out NGH uh, code in, and off you go. You'll get 10% discount straight away for a limited time, of course. There's another thing I just remembered. Oh, you know what I really like about these NGH engines as well? One nut to hold the prop on, except for the two big sizes, the 60cc four-stroke and the 70cc uh, two-stroke twin. They've got you know the four-bolt pattern, which you know you sort of need when you get to the higher power applications. But what I like that single nut, it's just so much easier to put on. If you need to, you know, pull the cowl off and you know do some maintenance on your engine or whatever, tighten up the exhaust bolts, kind of thing. Well, you can it's just one one nut. It's easier to align your your spinner as well, and oh, it's just. Everything's easier when there's just one nut on some of these smaller uh, two-stroke engines. And, of course, they come with everything ready to go, the ignition and the muffler as well. Take a look at rcworld.com.au. That is rcworld.com.au. Or drop in. You can visit them at 135 Shannon Avenue, Geelong West, Victoria. It's 135 Shannon Avenue in Geelong. You people in Geelong know where that is. But otherwise, visit online, rcworld.com.au. And don't forget to get your 10% discount. Just put in the code FLATOUTNGH. Well, that's a good offer for you. Now, normally I'd just tell you what's been happening uh, in the past week. Uh, Not much. Uh, Lockdown, of course, continues. uh, But uh, keep on researching different models. I'm thinking about... I haven't spoken to him. This is the first time I've mentioned it. I think I want to get Peter Goff on because Peter Goff, he's been on the podcast before and he's establishing a business that does laser cut kits. And uh, and uh, this laser cut kits is something that I'm really intrigued with at the moment uh, because I think it's there's a lot of options now for aero modelers that enjoy building that don't want to sort of cut all the ribs out, that kind of thing. We've got this laser option. And we're fortunately, even here in Australia, you know, Hulk RC is doing it, uh, Laser Cut Kits Australia, um, Tyson Dodd up at um, Land Down Under Aerosports is doing some laser cut kits of the Peter Goldsmith um, glider range and a few other things. So we've got some really good options that allow us to build models that we can't buy off the shelf as ARFs uh, and something that we can sink our teeth into. And, and the more and more I think about it, the more I, I love that concept. Uh, so I might get Peter Goff on. We'll have a chat about that. About that. I've got to uh, send him a message. So Peter, if you're listening, I, I'm going to be in contact with you shortly. Uh, but yeah, so... A lot of people are building. A lot of my friends are out in their sheds building. Uh, you know, the, the weather hasn't been great for flying where I am. So we're not missing out on much at the moment being in lockdown. But one area that I have been trying to improve, and I, I think I put a message out a number of podcasts ago about some soldering help because I'm terrible at soldering. 
And uh, fortunately, you know, especially one reader came to my aid, uh, and that was I think it's Dale. I'm gonna I'm gonna a bit of basically I've just got to go to my flat out RC and have a look because I know um, that I was pointing in the right direction by a great guy saying you've got to get the right soldering iron. Start with that, and I did. That's what I did. I went and uh, I went and had a look at the. Um, at what I was told to get, and I ended up going and purchasing it. And I, even if you saw my flat out RC Instagram page the other day, I went and bought one of those um, like soldering keeper helper things with alligator clips, so you can just hold things in place and not tie your hands up trying to burn yourself and all that kind of stuff. Because I'm pretty good at doing that. But um, Dale Gray, Dale Gray, you're a legend. Dale's put me onto a a, a soldering iron that helped him greatly, and the model that I got was a Hacko FX888D digital digital soldering station. And he said, grab a larger tip while you're at it. And I did, Dale. See, I do listen to my readers. And uh, so I went out and bought it. It finally came. Everything, the shipping's been a bit delayed at the moment with Australia Post over here. So, But it finally came and it's, I pulled it out of the box and it's a work of art. And I'm really looking forward, I'm really excited about having a proper soldering iron that uh, might do a better job than my previous ones. And my new alligator clips uh, that are going to help me hold things in place. I've got a couple of soldering jobs to do, actually. So I can't wait for it. So a big thank you to Dale Gray for helping me out with my soldering. I will give you a report on how well it worked. You know, uh, in my amateur soldering skills are not great, but I can still tell you how I went. The only way is up for me when it comes to soldering. So I'm close to finishing another plane. I just haven't been motivated to pull it out. I've only literally a couple of hours and the plane's done. Just the minor, minor details. I ordered some battery straps. Got to wait for them to come in. So I did do something aero modeling during the week. But uh, yeah, it's been um, interesting times. But uh, if you're out in the shed, uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Make the most of it. Keep on going. Sometimes we hit those stumbling blocks, but just keep on working through because you know what the end result's going to be. It's going to be great. Guest time, my favourite time of the Flat Out RC podcast. This week's guest is Ray Melton. Now, Ray was put on to me by Alexa Scott uh, that was on a number of podcasts ago, uh, one of his mates. And Ray, I didn't know anything about Ray. Uh, And that's one thing I love about this podcast. I can meet new people and really hear their story and get to know them really well. And Ray's just one of those guys who has a, a strong passion for aviation. He works in the aviation aviation industry, uh, has been building for a long time, um, you know, uh, a lot of scale builds, scratch builds, and you'll see how he loves building things that are different. And so we'll talk about some of his models, but now he's sort of, as he's got older, progressed more into the scale glider scene and, uh, you know, the glider tugging, especially out of South Australia, which I call the mecca for, for gliding. There's such a good movement happening in South Australia on the gliding front and of course they're free they can go out and enjoy uh enjoy the hobby so uh it was really good i really enjoyed my chat with ray such a nice guy we have a lot in common ray and i we had a big chat after after the recording and uh, shared some stories about motorbikes and guitar playing and all sorts of things so uh here's my chat with ray melton i always say that everyone's got a story to tell and i really enjoy exploring people's stories and and today ray melton is joining me I don't know a lot about Ray, but he other people have told me about Ray and tell me that he's a bit of a gun aero modeler. Ray Melton, thank you for joining me. Thanks very much, Andrew. Uh, chuffed at the invite. 
Yeah, well, look, uh, your name popped up in a in a conversation with somebody else, and I said, "Oh, look, Ray's the perfect kind of person I'd like to have on the podcast." Give us a bit of background. You know, where where do you live? You know, what's your occupation? That kind of thing. Um, I uh, I live in Adelaide, um, at Golden Grove, and I guess I'm a a true aerosexual. I've uh, been in aviation pretty much all my life, and uh, I work. Um, at Flight Training Adelaide at Parfield Airport, where we do a lot of the training for a lot of the world's major airlines. So I'm a ground school instructor there. I, I teach aerodynamics and high-speed aerodynamics, helicopters, aircraft systems, gas turbine engines, all that sort of good stuff. So, uh, so I'm in a classroom all day. It's great. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. It's, it's not a bad thing when you get to live and breathe aviation uh, almost every yeah. day, is it? Yeah. I've been an aircraft engineer most of my life. Yeah. Okay, so well, that sort of leads into my first question, which is, where did your aero modelling journey begin? From my dear old dad, who's still going, he's nearly ninety, um, and from a very young age, um, I was always with dad flying. Dad was an absolute doyen in free flight scale circles. He's just, he was just so good at it, and uh, that certainly rubbed off. And uh, I smell diesel fuel, and I think of dad all the time, and. Uh, they were just fantastic days, and um, and that's where I started. A lot of rubber, rubber scale, uh, diesel powered scale, mainly that. You know, a little bit of sports stuff, but mainly scale. So, what era did you begin? Just to put put context to 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 what we're talking oh, about. Mid sixties. Okay. My earliest memory would be pre sixty five. I used to love sitting down, and um, my dad would be looking at plans on the lounge room floor, and he'd have his box of engines. And I always used to say to him, Dad, Daddy, can I bop your engines? And I used to like flicking them over. And that was just a thrill, you know. And, uh, yeah, uh, so it started then. And then you're not, you're, I guess you're all thumbs till you're about 10 years old and then you can start sort of building something that actually works. Yeah, it's true. Before that, little chuck gliders and Dad would build me things and I'd fly them. And, uh, but, yeah, but I was always reading out there. And uh, we still we still try and do it together a couple of times a year, but Dad's getting old, it's getting harder. You know, it's... The way it is, yeah, it's, it's um, we do. You know, I've interviewed enough people now to see sort of trends and that having a dad that uh can get you into the hobby is a common thing, but uh, a lot of fathers will try to introduce their children into aero modeling and it hasn't stuck. So, obviously, there was some sort of spark there, like you said, bopping yeah. that engine. Which, as soon as you mentioned oh, yeah. that, the first time I saw a model engine and just flicking it over was just exciting yeah. thing, you know, just to look yeah. at it was an exciting thing. Uh, so obviously you had that spark from early on. So, so you, you got into, into the free flight stuff. So of course you got into control line as well. Yeah. I used to race, um, a good year, team race back in the seventies. That was a lot of fun until people got so competitive. They took the fun out of it. Um, and I had a, I remember I had a, a control line scale tiger moth that was nearly bigger than me. And really? I was about 12 or something. And, uh, I had a shot with triplane. Um, oh, I think a couple of other things, uh, a few little stunters. I was never really good at stunt, but um, but I loved the racing. That was a lot of fun. And were you building your stunt. own models or was your dad helping you at that stage as well? Both of us, yeah. Both of us were both doing it, yeah. Yeah. And um, dad was a mechanic, I was a pilot, and uh, yeah, we had great days. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, actually, I've never asked this question before, but you were, you were in that scene at that in that era. Because I hear about yep. so many people that say, oh, yeah, I used to fly control line when I was a kid. Would it be a common sight to see somebody flying control line model down at the local park? 
Well, that's where I did it. We had a, well, I grew up in Sydney. And um, so right opposite us in Ingleburn, which is this massive, big, empty paddock with short grass all the time. And, and on the left of it, some really long grass, which was great for test flying, yeah, three got models. And we, we just fly out there all the time and like test our Goodyear races and they scream. No one ever complained, ever. And uh, there'd be kids up at the other over the other side of town and that, yeah, there was a few of us around. It's funny, I think yeah, we definitely live in a different era where people are it's easy to easy to unplease, really. They you know that they oh, they'll yeah. hear a bit of noise and it always fascinates me. People that buy a house right next door to a racing car track and then complain about the noise of the cars. <laughs> Yeah, yep, anybody that's, that's listening to this that lives near Sandown Raceway here in Melbourne, bad luck. Mm. The track was there before you were, and you chose to live there. So, and I like the Sandown Racetrack. Yeah. Uh, so, so okay. So the the and obviously in that era that you're talking about, radio control started to come into the scene as well. Yeah, I got into radio quite late. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, picked it up pretty quick, but um, and I. You know, because free flight was my main passion. I thought, oh, I've got this radio. Because um, what happened too was I got I was in the Air Force and I got posted to Richmond, um, west of Sydney, from, from um, Adelaide here. And I was not very happy about that because the unit they sent me to, I was oh, a bit of trepidation. And here's the funny thing. I got there and half, half the guys that were there were all model flyers in my section. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, and we still get together once or twice a year at Kudamundra and spend a week flying together. Oh, really? Still. That's awesome. To this day. So 30 years later, we're still doing that. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it was for the better. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. The Was there a buzz in the air around radio control sort of coming in in that era, in that late 60s sort of time frame? You know, was. Did you feel pressurized to, to give it a go or you know, what, what was happening no, back then? A lot of my dad's mates that were also brilliant free files power guys, they picked it up. My dad just never got the bug. Uh, as my dad said, he said, I, I'd get a short circuit on a candle. That's his favourite saying. Um, and I, you know, so I, I I saw it, but I was never that attracted to it because um, I just enjoyed the free flight so much uh, in all different aspects of free flight, not just scale. So, um, yeah, I sort of got into that later. And a lot of the guys, you know, in Sydney, I was flying with guys like Ivor, Ivor F, Reggie Tao, uh, Barry Lee, um, yeah, all these guys who are, you know, I still talk to the ones that are still alive anyway um, occasionally. So, yeah, it was all up down there. When you think about it, just as you're talking, mentioning free flight, it, it's really pure pure aero modelling really when you think about it, that the amount of effort that you'd need to put into the plane to make sure that it could fly by itself. Nowadays, yeah. you know, we just slap an ARF kit together and, go to the field yeah. and we just trust that it's going to be okay. But what was it like maiden, you know, a maiden flight of a free flight model? Um, well, you've got to pick the right aeroplane to start with and free flight is a, a, a pretty good at that. In fact, most of the radio models I've had, I've had free flight versions of them. So that, to me, proved the concept um, and they all fly really well. So, um, yeah, you find the long grass and uh, give them um, – a bit of low power and a bit of a glide and see what they do and then just go from there just in stages, you know, a little bit of power, a bit of a descent, see if they turn left or right and make adjustments and then within 20 minutes you've probably got the thing going absolute crap. So uh, it's just just uh, a bit of a time, yeah. So I want you to know how they're all pretty much the same. Some are a bit more difficult than others. 
some just fly straight off the board and you think, wow, <laughs> that was that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Now then moving to radio control, what, what sparked uh, your move into, R- into RC? Well, the guys that I met in the Air Force, um, uh, we just thought, oh, let's have a go at this. And um, we had, we built a, um, me and my friend Mark, who's a, he's a Qantas captain, he's just retired. Uh, we built a, a Noel Shannon free flight scale Piper Cub and then just whacked two servos in it. We thought, well, this thing will fly on its own. If anything goes wrong, we'll just drop the transmitter. And we just taught ourselves, you know, you just develop the feel for it. Oh, this is pretty easy. And that aeroplane is still alive, believe it or not. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, just a little diesel in the front, no throttle, just get up, fly around, steer it around, bring it in land. This is cool. And then we just moved on to far better models almost immediately. So we just got the feel and, yeah, we, we learned on something that wasn't going to turn us right off. But that's amazing because you hear so many stories of, you know, people's experience with radio control and getting into it and, you know, the self-taught sort of route and the, the break-fix cycle that was associated with it. But it sounds like you transitioned quite easily. But, but again, I think you did it the smart way because, you, you, you know, I've never heard of somebody say, well, you know, if all else fails, we'll just put the, uh, put the transmitter down, the plane will fly itself. That's, that's a, right. <laughs> that's, that's a good approach yeah. nowadays. Uh, and you gradually learn the feel. What, what sort of response you'll get from an input, yeah. So what kind of engine were you running in that plane? It wasn't one of my good Mills 75s. I think it was a little, oh, let me think now. Might have been um, a poor, a poor a little POW one. Yeah. Yeah, a poor one or a poor, poor 80, I think, yeah. And the, what was the radio there. gear? Oh, God, a really old um, steam-driven Futaba <laughs> with a gold metal case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I had an open gimbal MRC set. Oh, when's this? Uh, when mid-80s. was mid 80s? You got it. Was it mid 80s that yeah. you got into the, the RC? Yeah. Gee, that was late. Yeah. You, you must have done a lot of control on a free flight all the way. Did, I was in my late 20s, yeah. So have you, you know, we hear the stories of a lot of guys that get into it, into the hobby young and then have a break from it. Have you been consistently aero modeling from, from that young age? No, I raced motorbikes for about six, seven years and had a break from it. Oh, look. I was, then I grew a brain and uh, went back to the no, models. Don't say that, Ray, because <laughs> obviously then I've lost my brain because last year I bought a motorbike for the first time at the age of 47. Well, I had a big break from them as well and I, I, I bought a new one three years ago and I'm loving it and I said to the wife, I'd love to take up club road racing again. Oh, no. This poor old... This poor old airframe would not handle a hundred mile an hour get off anymore. No, no. Well, that's I um. There's something about riding a motorbike, though. I I think that's I, great, yeah. I, I think I'm I, I love things where you just feel free, and there's certain yeah. activities where I feel free, and aero modelling's not bad when I'm actually flying a plane. I feel free, and I'm just focusing on that that task yeah. of flying the model. And I was um talking to a, a lady once that was a psychologist, and she said to me, Andrew, I know why you like, you know racing cars and uh motorbikes and things like that because when you're doing it your your the physical world is caught up with your brain and the speed that your brain's going at and i said yeah that's true because i'm so calm i you know i used to race cars and i was never more calm than when i was sitting in a race car driving around a track i was so alert yeah. and same when i'm riding the motorbike and i don't do anything stupid i just trying to long down some dirt trails no, again, but <laughs> But um, I keep on looking at the. I've got a trail bike, but I want. To, I'm thinking about a road bike now. But um, 
I, I just want to talk to you. of the Enduros down here, and we had one of the biggest races, uh, the 24-hour reliability trial, so 24 oh, yeah. hours sort of non-stop, oh, that was fun. Yeah. I must have been fit once. <laughs> so, yeah. No, no, we're still yeah. fit. We can still relive those days. <laughs> but, um, no, it's that sense of adventure, though, that's, that I think um, it's such a – such a common story that aero modelers are into motorbikes, boats, cars, hot rods, oh, that yeah. kind of thing. That we're all fishing, we're all tinkerers and um, inquisitive minds, and and we fall in love with that concept of you know, like the idea of a twenty-four hour reliability trial. I think is I just mm. think about imagine the adventure, preparing for it, turning up, oh, the whole experience of yeah, doing it. That's what yeah. I think we're good at doing, we aero modelers. So you had a little bit of a break, a good reason, motorbike. We like motorbikes. And then yep. you, you came back, obviously, um, after that, um, and you haven't looked back, have you? No, what happened was I it, it coincided with the time that I got posted from Adelaide back to Richmond, and um, Richmond is where the New South Wales Free Flight Society has their field. And I used to fly there, and... Uh, it, that posting back here coincided with the 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 end of my motorbike racing as such, and the error modelling bug biting again. It all happened just it was meant to happen, you know. And then my dad he was ringing me every second day saying he's still coming. He was so excited, and I must say that the four years I spent up there uh, with my dad flying was probably four of the happiest years I've ever had. We had a ball, you know. And dad, they just because I hadn't been home for sort of eight years and. I think Dad was missing me a bit, and we really got back into it with a vengeance. And so, was your dad flying just free flight still, or did he, he progress into? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's just still free flight. That's all he likes to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I bet your dad's got a few tales to tell. He's funny, you know. Like he's nearly ninety. He's, he says, "Oh, I can't do this properly anymore." You know, it's an old bugger. And he, I look at his shed, and he goes, "Oh, I know I'm probably not going to get do much flying, but geez, I still like building them." I said, "Well, why not?" And I picked up this wing that he built, this BAC drone, and I'm going, I'm looking at this wing, and it is beautiful. I'm going, what are you talking about? You can't do this anymore. This is magnificent piece of work. <laughs> but that's, that's, yeah. that's the great thing about this hobby. It, 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 it can be with us till the day we die, that there's still some way to participate in the hobby, even if you're not flying. Yeah. That, you know, building. Well, that's what I tell people. The day I can't fly anymore, and I know this has happened to a few of my friends, they've got into their mid-80s and they really can't fly anymore. It gets harder. I'm hoping to, even when I retire in probably another two, three years, I want to build scale battleships and destroyers and race the one-meter yachts. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to yeah. transition to after the gliding is gone. Well, the RC yachts, I've got an RC yacht and it's great. It's, it's something about this. You sit on the little wharf there with your little, little yeah. boats and you got a few other guys, and it's just calming. It's just not as long as some some races take it really seriously, and we yell and scream at each other. But with oh. the bunch of guys that I go and I go and have a bit of fun with, it's just yeah. so much fun. It's like if you run into each other, it's like oh well, doesn't matter. Yeah. And the races, the races take about ten minutes, and so if you muck up a race, you only have to wait ten minutes until the race finishes, and you're like, mm. you're back in it. So it's um, it's a lot of fun. So as long as I'm making something, yeah, yeah. So let's just fast forward a bit. So, you, you know, you we'll covered a bit of free flight and then into control line and then into RC. Let's fast forward to today. What does your aero modelling scene look like today? Oh, I still do a bit of free flight. 
during the year. We have a, a big event up at Murray Bridge every year, and I do that. And um, but mainly, yeah, uh, it was mainly radio scale. And um, unfortunately, you, know, you, you get a good flying buddy, and um, and because we're all in aviation, we get scattered the four winds. Because my, my best scale mate, he now lives in Sydney. He was the guy I was telling you about before, who we we learned to fly together. And um, so I, I kind of miss him and, and Bruce, the other one. And uh, that's why we catch up at Cuda Mundra once or twice a year just to get together. And it's fantastic. And um, so mainly just uh, radio scale. Um, and uh, that's, that's sort of been my main thing for the, probably a long time as of recent. Yeah. When it comes to scale models, uh, often you know, I talk to people and they've got some sort of category of scale models that they like. It could be cubs or it could be warbirds and whatever. What's Have you got a defined mm. category of scale, scale models that you like to build? Oh, anything unusual. Um, unusually pre-war through to World War Two. I think the only aeroplane I've had that was sort of post-World War Two was my Douglas Sky Raider. Um, um, so, um, um, yeah, uh, so all around that era, World War Two. Uh, just before, as you saw with my Hawker Fury, that sort of stuff. Yeah. When you uh, when you look at that era, though, I always say that that is one of the best eras eras of aviation because there was so yeah. much experimentation going on. You know, we had the likes of wars pushing technology ahead, and it was amazing yeah. how during war times, how many different new aircraft were developed in such a short period of time, and they're all trying to get oh, them faster or higher or more maneuverable or whatever. And so really yeah. when you think about it, if you're going to pick scale subjects, you've got a lot to choose from in that era, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said the 1930s is often called the golden era because I reckon that's when they made the best-looking aeroplanes. Oh, there's, but there's something just about that era of aviation, those planes. That will, you know, I always say that some modern planes can look pretty boring. You know, they're really sleek. Yeah. You know, they look cool, but they're really yeah. sleek. But they don't have character like some of the old old planes uh, do, yeah. which is you know, which which when you're talking about a scale subject, you, yeah, you, you want something to work with, and they give you a lot more to work with, don't they? Are you? Yeah, oh, are I you, should have mentioned World War One as well. How could I leave that? Oh yeah, I yeah. Love World War no, no, one. yeah. You got to have everything. Yeah. World War One through to that. Oh, you know, yeah. World War Two. Beautiful they are. Yeah. Uh, except I was talking something the other day, and they said, um, well, uh, you know, a guy actually from last week's podcast. Uh, was talking about the sixties era era of jets, and then when you, when you if you think about it, the jet scene really progressed in that sixties period where you know countries were really developing different jets, and there are some really nice looking early jets. And then we bring it fast forward to oh, today's yeah, jets that are really nice and sleek, but again don't have as much character as some of those uh no, they don't. Those no. old old jets. Are you building from plans? Are you scratch building, you know, kits? Where do you sit? I've always been a scratch builder and a lot of my scale models are my own plans because I always say no one's ever got what I want. So I've had to just draw my own plans, which I've been doing since I was about 13 or 14, making my own three-flight scale models, and I just did that. And there's nothing to it really, and they've all flown well. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, I do really like Brian Taylor's uh, models and I get the short kits from Sarek for them. That makes it easy. Um, I've got the Brian Taylor Hurricane and I could I was too impatient to wait for the kit to arrive, so I just built it from scratch. Did you? <laughs> and then the cowling arrived. All right. <laughs> Give us a bit of an understanding of when it comes to drawing your own plans. Yeah. 
how do you actually do that? Where does the process start? Because I've, I've never thought about that, actually. You get some really good three views of what you want, and then you can either use them straight or blow them up to a more convenient size so you're doing it like 10 times, not, not 9.3 times. just makes it easy. And then you get a big sheet of white paper and draw a big straight line down the middle, and that's your reference line. Then just get your dividers and enlarge it and join all the dots. You know, enlarge five times that and then just join the dots. And then my plans are very rudimentary because I'm an experienced builder. I I just know what has to go where. And you've got lots of little sketches and notes on the, on the plan. But if I gave the plans to someone else, they'd probably struggle to build it because I know what I'm doing. But uh, I guess I could, if someone wanted to build one I've got, I can certainly just fix the plans up relatively okay to uh, for someone else to use. But that, again, they'd have to be an experienced builder. How much detail are you going to? You, you deciding how many formers you might need in the fuselage and what the shapes yeah, need to be and all that, that kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah, yeah, just go from there. And I, I do roughly draw the formers. And then, yeah, and um, it's like whenever I build a, a new model, I'll sit there and stare at the plans for about three weeks and I will actually build the model from go to woe in my head. Okay. Because then you think, well, that a lot of it you don't need to think about. That's fairly straightforward. But other bits you think, how am I going to do that? And you make drawings, think about it. And the best thing is um, everything comes out working just how you imagine most of the time. And one thing I have learned was if you're building a scale model, um, don't, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Um, do exactly what the full size have done. And a great example of that, and I tell people, uh, I built the Brian Taylor Messerschmitt 109E, and of course the plan doesn't have leading edge slats. And a 109 without leading edge slats is well, not a 109. And I thought I'll do these, and I, I tried to outsmart everybody, of course, and it was a bit of a flop. So in the end, I went back and made them work exactly how the full size does, and they worked a treat. Mm. So um, I just, you know, I, sh- I should have known better, and I and I always do, and. Yeah, so it's just great when everything works like you imagine it would. And uh, I guess my my background in aircraft engineering certainly helps a lot. And uh, I always used to say how much of my hobby went into my job and vice versa. Yeah, definitely help. And where where were you going to to research the the the, the planes? Cause, okay, we've got the internet now, which obviously would speed things oh, up. But yeah, pre-internet, just um, there was always really good three views available in books or you could order them and that. And I've got such a huge library and um, filing cabinet, I don't even know what I've got half the time now. And there's, there's always something in there. And I just go from there. And, um, and uh, if you, like my Skyraider, um, I needed a cowling mould. And all you do is use Tupperware containers because there's one that's exactly the right size. And you can, you can change the size of your model to suit that. And you just lay the fiberglass in the mould out, they come and it's perfect, yeah, and uh, it works really well. So us <laughs> modellers are notoriously cheap and nasty sometimes. So, uh, but yeah, it just so uh, yeah, I just draw them up myself, and I've, I've had a lot of. I've never had one really fail. Like they've been great aeroplanes. And uh, well, uh, to me, I'll, I'll, I'll always be scared that I would. You know, I'd get the fuselage done, then I might do the wings, and then the wings won't fit properly on the fuselage because I mucked up some measurements yeah. or something like that. But I suppose you've built enough models now that you've got a, a wealth of knowledge that you just take for granted. Yes, yeah. just that's, comes out that's right. That's the trick. Yeah. yeah, you've got to have the box of tricks. Yeah, and that comes with time and experience. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I think sometimes we aero modelers that have been around for a while and put together a few few models before, 
that we take that for granted, that knowledge that we do have, because we just go, oh, yeah, just do this. You know, it almost becomes second nature. Do you find, though, that you like challenging yourself with, with, new, with new models that you build? Oh, yeah. I like, I like uh, doing something thinking, how am I going to get that to work? How can I do that? And, and my wife, quite often, I'll sit there staring at the ceiling and she'll go, what are you thinking about? And I'm thinking about how to make the leading edge slats and one and iron work. She just goes, oh, you're, thinking about, you're thinking about shit again, aren't you? I'm going, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's an infliction that we've got. I've just, oh, I'm just, oh, I've just got such a strong belief in that. It's an infli- affliction that we have that where our minds, we're not happy unless our minds are thinking about something, I think, half the time. One of the funniest comments I ever heard and, and uh, was my, my friend Dave, who's a, a brilliant free flight scale model. His models almost look like the plastic model. They're so good. And uh, he, he's very lasonic. And um, he had this beautiful um, Albatross C3 and had this beautiful machine gun in the back that he made with a belt of ammunition. And a guy was looking at it and said to him, how'd you make that gun? And he goes, well, I don't know. I just made it. He goes, but how? And Dave goes, well, I don't know, I just carved away the bits that didn't look like a gun. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly it. Because I've looked at stuff, someone says, how'd you make that? I don't remember. Somehow. It just happened. Yeah, that just made me laugh. That was, yeah, it really stuck with you. Do you find when you're sitting in the shed and you're building, you just get into that building zone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Just yeah, I just love it. I, I try and do a little bit each night. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but... If you chip away one or two hours a night or even a week, it doesn't take long before a, a project comes together. What's your uh, uh, What's your favourite part about a build? Oh, I love I love the painting and doing all the markings and the weathering. I just love doing that. I know a lot of people despise that bit, but uh, I'm a very fast builder, and I'm also, I guess, the free flight has really taught me to be a light builder, and I, I use a lot of pre-flight techniques in my radio models in that if they hit the ground, things don't break and you allow things to move um, and it doesn't break then. So, yeah, the pre-flight has really helped me be a far better modeler, I think, and, um, using all those techniques that are light but strong. So, uh, But I, I love the finishing. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. And what's the, uh, the part that you hate the most? Cutting wing ribs out. <laughs> Just hate it. Oh, I, oh, I don't know why I just hate it. Yeah, it sounds therapeutic, but then I think after you've done a few, it's like okay, now I'm over it. But uh, that's why I think uh, laser cutting really helps in that regard, doesn't it? And then you go and build two left-hand wing panels. Isn't that fun? <laughs> just make it a biplane. I've done that four times <laughs> in my life, and just four times. <laughs> and I think about that, Dan. I think I've done two left-hand fuselage sides about three or four times <laughs> in my life too. And, me and Dad just laugh at each other and go, oh, yeah, we've all done it. You're just going to have to make two of every model then to use those, those parts. But normally you realise a mistake before you're too far into it and you think, yeah. oh, shit, all right. <laughs> so you've lost one evening's work, that's all. Yeah. And, uh, frustrating. Um, usually followed by a swear word and storm out in the kitchen and <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> How do you go nowadays in in just buying just the basic supplies for, for uh, scratch building, things like balsa and different components are you having any issues nowadays with with well, fewer I'm people lucky doing down it? here is um we've got uh balsa central down here which is not that far from me um they're the wholesaler that's where everyone gets their balsa from and i i order it in bulk from there it turns up on my doorstep in a big box and you know if you order more than 150 bucks free postage but i can get i get in and sometimes and choose my balsa as well 
because um, I'm I'm in the, I'm the president of the Spouse Society here. They give me another 10% off for that. It's just great. So golf is not an issue. And there's always Bunnings just up the road. You get stuck for one bit of wood. Yeah, yeah, um, true. Or Bunnings Aerospace, as we call it. <laughs> um, actually, I buy all my glues from Bunnings now. All of it. It's great. I've got everything there. I've been researching a kit build. Yep. Um, Super Chipmunk. Everyone knows that I love Super Chipmunks and I want to build one at one day. And I've literally been watching a build thread on YouTube of a Super Chipmunk. It's a kit out of – I couldn't scratch build it, but I – I've been looking at this kit out of the USA, and it it looks it fits my bill. It's the right size, and um, yeah. it looks like it's quite easy to build. Um, but I was thinking about glue. Now this guy was using CA on everything. You know, everything sort of was tabbed together. The whole kit was pretty easy to build, and uh, and he used CA. Yeah. But what is your glue of choice? I use the, the old traditional Silly's PVA and the fast grab one. It just tacks off quicker. Um, so you'd have to hang on to it quite so long. I use Sino for certain jobs that are, need to be held there. Um, there's this really good polyurethane glue that comes out of Bunnings now. It's brilliant. It's, it's all, I think it's a water base. You can use it for skinning foam wings. And, of course, the old Araldite, five-minute Araldite epoxy and 24-hour. That's that's about it. You know, that does, there's a glue for every job, and that's about all I really need, and it seems to work rather well. Do you find some of those, those wood glues, like, just last longer or stronger bond why are you selecting some of those rather than just going the ca route for everything sino doesn't like hardwood like plywood it just doesn't like that no um, so yeah sino where it's where there's not a lot of strength required um but something else everywhere else now another question that's these some of these are personal questions to add to my knowledge bank uh, when you're, say, cutting out ply parts, how are you cutting them? I've got a wizard little um, jigsaw that I, I've just got a new one from Aldi, but I had another little GMC one for that last 25 years from somewhere. might have been Bunnings or something, but, and I sold that. It was still going. I just got this really good one from Aldi. It was about $100 and something. Dollars. It's beautiful. Yeah, and I've got a little scroll, GMC scroll saw. And a little disc sander. That's about all you need. And how long is it, how long is it taking you to uh, to build a model from start to finish? Depends what it is. My Thunderbolt took me three years, um, and unfortunately, I lost that aeroplane. Would you believe um, that was one of my biggest tragedies? Was and I, I, I said to my friends the other day, Do you know, I would take my Hawker Hurricane and a couple of my other models, and I would jump on them now if I could have my Thunderbolt back. Oh, really. Really, I said, yeah, I would, I would jump on the hurricane to have my Thunderbolt back tomorrow. Um, my 109 took me about a year. That's a pretty easy aeroplane to build, the 109. Uh, my hurricane took me seven months. Uh, my big quarter-scale gliders, they only take about six months. Um, so, yeah, so they, they vary. Um, my Skyraider my took me about three years, uh, but it had a bit of a break. There's a bit of a long gap in the middle as well where I didn't touch it. So... Anywhere from one to sort of three years for most projects, I guess. I don't like to rush it because if you've got to rush your build, it takes a bit of the fun out of it. You like it just to be there for you and just it happens in time. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting concept that because sometimes I think we do put pressure on ourselves and I think other people put pressure on ourselves. And one of my mates is terrible at constantly saying, when are you going to finish it? Well, you're never going to fly it. When are you going to do this? And I'm like, well, I'm not going anywhere. And... There's lots of other things no. that I'm enjoying myself doing, you know, enjoy doing, and 
you know, it, it, I had a, an ARF, a 100cc aerobatic model that took five years to put together. Yeah. And everybody else had an issue with it taking that long, but I didn't because I did it when I wanted to do it and I wasn't in a rush. And now that it's finished, we've been stuck in lockdowns here in Victoria for 200 and something days over the past oh, no. 12 months. So I haven't, had to, I haven't flown it very often because I just haven't had the chance to. But uh, yeah. that'll we've, change. Something we've been pretty that, lucky here in Adelaide. Oh, yeah. I was talking to somebody today in South Australia saying, yeah, compared to us in Victoria and New South Wales at the moment, not doing too well. But uh, now there's a model that I, I noticed on your Facebook page, the Fury, that uh, it looks phenomenal. Oh, the want, Fury, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted you to you know, tell me a bit about, more about that, uh, about that model. Well, my friend Bruce in Sydney, we always build the same model together. He's in Sydney, I'm here. We talk on the phone a lot and we start together and we finish together because when we get the Kudamundra and we fly, it's lovely to have two of the same model flying together. You know, different serial numbers, different markings, but, you know, we've both got a, a 109, a Fury, Hurricane, we had the Thunderbolt. And um, we always go, oh, what are we going to build next? You're always looking for something that floats your boat. And uh, the Fury popped up and it, it's an old... Dennis Bryant plan from the 70s, and it, and it really shows its age in the, the plans. I thought, well, there was a fiberglass cowl available for it and a spinner. I thought, that's all I need. I don't want nothing else. Um, and what I did is I totally changed the plans to make it a lot more scale. You know, my wings my wings slide onto the centre section and lock in and all the, all the flying wires hold it all together. So it makes transportation easy, and plus it looks a lot better. So I made a lot of changes to it. Um, made all the undercarriage the proper length and that, 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 that all works and everything. And I just thought it was just such a, it's a, such a pretty aeroplane, those, those silver aeroplanes, all the squadron markings from the 30s, your Hawker Demons. And, and I helped restore a Hawker Demon when I was in the Air Force. And, uh, but the Fury, I've always had a really soft spot for the Fury. And uh, it's a beautiful aeroplane to fly. It's, it, it was rather surprised me because when I test flew it, I took off and I'm flying around and going, well, this is pretty boring. And then I thought, okay, um, it wasn't very fast. And I thought, okay, I'll open the throttle and go a bit quicker. And I realised I was at full throttle. Huh. And I went, oh, because it's such a clean aeroplane, I guess I had in my mind that I expected it to perform better than it actually does. Yeah. And it and, and it's very gentlemanly. It, it does everything like an old biplane that, the loops are pretty average. It does nice gentlemanly rolls, but it's just really pretty watching it fly around. And when you watch it come into land on that big long undercarriage, it's just it's just a really pretty aeroplane. And uh, yeah, it's just it just flies itself. It's beautiful. No bad habits. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at a full size one on the internet now as we speak, and it is a beautiful looking aeroplane. And it, yeah, know, and mine's all polished aluminium at the front. And yeah, you know, how did you do that? Yeah. Did, you, did you actually lay down aluminium? Yeah, it's litho plate, but the really tricky parts, uh, the curved bits, are aluminium tape. I got used to get this aluminium tape when I was in the Air Force, and I've still got a big roll of it. It's six inches wide, and um, I, I, I use that for doing the tricky bits. And if you get any wrinkles, and you just sand them out and repolish it, and you really don't notice too much. So, uh, so you use litho plate on the not too badly curved areas, and um, it's fine. Just hold it on with uh, contact glue to stick it on. Polish it up and yeah, it works fine. What yeah. was the uh, what's the wingspan of that model? It's just over sixty inch, I think. I wish it was a bit bigger, but um, I, I like that size model. I like that sixty to sort of seventy five inch because engines are not expensive for them. They fly well. They're cheap to build and they fit in my car. 
So, mm. you know, I'm just, I just like that size model. They, they suit me fine. You know, so. Yeah, that Fury is phenomenal. That is, you know, when you when you talk about it looking like it, one of those old biplanes flying, I can yeah. I'm imagining that that vision and thinking, yeah, that's what you know. I love seeing tiger moth, tiger moths fly, scale tiger moths. Yeah. Because there's just something yeah. about them when when you see them coming on that slow low pass down the strip that you go, I don't know, there's something yeah. romantic about it or something. I don't know what it is, but it they always look really really good. You know, I don't want to see a tiger moth that's you know fast and doing you know effortless loops and things like that. It's no, gotta, it's got to be. It's got to look real. The performance is pretty mediocre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I always say that one of the best... I used to fly one occasionally. Yeah. I was saying one of the best experiences that I've had in the past 12 months is watching a, a guy try to get his uh, diesel-engined RC plane off the ground. And yeah. it wasn't the best-looking model, and it was way underpowered. Like, to, to get to get it off the runway it needed... Uh, they kept on kept them running out of runway, and they go and grab the the the, the plane. Motor still running. Run it back. Okay, go back another twenty meters. Okay, that didn't work. Go back another ten and see if that does it. And we'd all be sitting there. Going, Come on, this is things going putt 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 on the grass, trying to eating up the runway, waiting, you know, hoping to get off the ground. It finally got off the ground, and everybody just had a smile on the face. The pilot and whatever, and it was almost like they didn't care if they crashed it. It was there was no, no. care in the world. It was just about pure fun. And that to me was, it was still just such a memorable vision of, of being there. And I took some video of it and some photos. And, and then when he got it in the air, it literally had to pin the throttle. It was, he had an RC connection on it and he had to pin the throttle just to keep the thing flying. And he, and he had fun. Yeah. He flew around a bit and, uh, you know, wasn't going to do a loop or anything like that. And then he brought it in to land. That was about it. There was one thing that uh, me and my friends used to do, and we've done it for many years. And I actually haven't done it for the last three years. I needed a break. And we used to go to Benalla every April, and it was called Bloody April for yeah. reasons you'll see yeah. why. And we built these 25-powered World War One fighters, and they had to be scale. There was no cheating. They had to be no stripper. They had to be scale. Uh, but you could cut enough corners to make them easy to build and mass-produce. And um, people used to look at it, look at them and think, are they your combat models? Yeah. Oh, man, I wouldn't put that much effort into something I wanted to keep forever. Yeah. And they had to be authentic colour schemes. And we would all dress up. And I was commanding officer of the, the German squadron because I could swear in German. Um, and we'd all dress up. We'd have the British camp, the flags and um, music playing. And we'd spend the whole weekend there just slaughtering each other with uh, towing crepe streamers. And we, after doing it for 20-odd years, 25 years, we did some calculations and we found that the survival rate was about 27%, which we figured was pretty scale. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and we, we bring home all the war trophies, someone you've shot down. I had a, the mid-airs were horrendous, and that was just so much fun. And I will start doing it again. I just I just needed a break from it for a little bit because I was doing other things. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so um, they're all mainly SE5s, Fokker D7s, Albatrosses, and a lot of them were our, our own design. And they flew great, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'd always take two and usually come home with none. <laughs> and, um, I've, been, I've been cleaned up and... Within ten minutes of the first combat on the first day, I thought, "Well, that was that." So, um, yeah, but uh, a lot of fun. You sure know how to have fun. Uh, that, was, that was great. That was a real. That was a real drug. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, the other That's scene great. that you're known for is in the uh, the scale gliding scene as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And so I've only been into that 
relatively recently said, I've always loved gliding and used to do a lot of slope soaring. And um, and uh, a lady I worked with, uh, Marta, she was Polish, and her husband um, was Polish. And they were, they were into the full-size gliding, but they're the ones that got me into the model gliding because they were doing it. I went, oh, yeah. And, and Ziggy, he he was very persuasive. He, he talked me into building the glide. He said, this is the one you should build, the Comar, which is what I've got. And I've just never looked back. I'm just so grateful they, they sort of pushed me and I, I did it and I, I just love it now. It's, it's my main passion. I said, because my flying isn't what it used to be five years ago. You know, I I, 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 I really struggle. I look at the aeroplane and see what's that doing? And my brain just doesn't work that fast anymore. And um, I was watching a film of me flying 25 years ago, you know, in my uh, Yak 55, doing low-level inverted passes, and I'm thinking, good God, is that me flying that? My brain just doesn't work that quick anymore. So the gliding is just, it's very relaxing, and I love those old gliders. They're very pretty, and I enjoy the aerotowing. It's just, what a, what a rush, absolute buzz, and flying with Mike O'Reilly and Alexis Scott, and they're a great bunch of guys, and, um, yeah, it, it was, I'm just really enjoying it. I've always been in awe of the gliding scene in South Australia. I just think it is mm. the epicentre of gliding. I don't know whether it's because I used to read a lot of magazines, you know, when I was younger and they'd always be talking about these events in South Australia and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah. even now, you know, you, you look at the, the, the scale gliding scene that's there. And we, we, you know, in Victoria, we're not too bad. We've got a good club here, Varms, and plenty of good gliding members there. But there's just something I do about... want to get over to have a glide with you guys too. Yeah. this rubbish. Well, sorts itself out. Yeah. I, th I think as soon as we, we get over this COVID situation, there's going to be a lot of people travelling to just meet up and just go yes. for a good old-fashioned, you know, glide together, something like that. But uh, Yeah. So yeah. Are you scratch-building your gliders as well? No, my coma, I, I got, um, I've got an ISB6 coma, quarter scale, and that was uh, from old gliders in Poland. You get the short kit. And I tell you, it's just a really big box full of bits. They don't label anything. So as an experienced builder, I just put the plan up on the wall on some tape and I pulled the bits out and went, well, that goes there. And I just started numbering them with a text to myself. Now that I've built one of their kits and I will do another one, easy as. Right? And my other one is a quarter scale SMD30 Parat, which is also a Polish glider from about 1966. It's the... I guess it was the beginning of the modern era because the real aeroplane is all composite from the, the wings forward and the rest is all plywood and fabric. So it, it's a T-tail, so it looks like a modern glider. And I scored that quite by accident. Um, again, my friend Ziggy, who uh, got me into the gliding, he uh, he built uh, nearly a half-scale Metapurts, that big flying wing, the Polish flying wing. And I built all the cockpit for him, all the detail. And he, he says, oh, I've got a I've got a, a fiberglass fuselage and the foam cord wings for a quarter-scale parat. And I went, what's a parat? And I Googled it and I went, oh, my God, that's pretty. And he goes, that's yours. I'll give you that for what you did for me. And I went, oh, thanks. So I built it and it's it's fabulous. Yeah, and he got one now as well because there was – Mike O'Reilly had a couple of fuselages floating around his workshop and Ziggy got a hold of them somehow. And, um, yeah, I didn't like it at first, I guess, because I wasn't flying it right. I was trying to fly it like my Comar, and it is a more modern glider, and I was flying it too slow, and it was just – it just wasn't happy. Now I'm used to it, and I've sort of thought, okay, I'm, I'm enjoying it now. 
almost to the point I was happy to sell it if someone offered me a, uh, a price. But uh, I'm used to it now and I'm quite happy with it. So, um, yeah. So, but it's, I'm still learning. You know, I've only been doing this for a few years, the gliding, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> my my favourite thing I tell people about gliders is, what do I like about gliders? You build the fuselage. Um, there's no there's no engine, no firewall, no fuel tank, no undercarriage, no fuel proofing. Hey, I'm finished. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's just, it's, and true. you go flying, you put them together, you finish flying, you pull them apart and put them back in your car. And I think the only dirty marks on the glide is where I've had dirty hands touching the wings. Yeah. It's just so nice. That is true. And I, because of COVID, I hadn't done any power flying for the better part of a year. And I went up to the Barossa flying, I took my glider and uh, me and Alexis went there and we were gliding, but I took one of my power models with me and I was putting the fuel in it and starting and then I had the ignition system was playing up. And, go, and at the end of the day, I went, you know what? I actually haven't missed this mm. at all. <laughs> Not at all. I've just been enjoying the gliding so much. So, yeah, so that's my, my biggest. I, I sometimes love, I've got a, um, a discus launch glider, a little one. Yeah. And I just love taking that out because it's all even the slope sawer. It's just yeah. the model, and, and they're not very big. My slope sawer and my, my, my DLG is not very big, so I keep it all built up. Uh, there's one battery because the battery is going to last for ages. I'm not going to worry about <laughs> to charge yes. your battery. So you get out of the car with the transmitter in one hand and the model in another, yes. and you go flying. <laughs> I don't have to unpack Absolutely. the car and spend hours. Nah. You know, when you say, when I say to my wife, I'm going. I've literally got yeah. the transmitter in one hand and the plane in another and nothing else. I don't take any tools with me or anything like that because if I need tools, something seriously has gone wrong and I probably have to take it back to the shed to fix it. But, um, yeah, I love and it. Friends I love that simplicity. Say to me, how do you test why that glider? I say, I chuck it off a cliff. What? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever lost one? No. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> it's, it's very – I'm still relatively new into the slope soaring thing, but every time I throw my glider, glider into the abyss – and it's generally it's I, I fly nice. mine, you know, near the coast, and yeah. it's like, okay, now is this going to work or not? And then you just have to have faith that you're doing the right thing. The wind's blowing in the right direction; it will be okay. Yeah. And if all else fails, well, there's beaches down there, and you just go and land it on that. But um, yeah, it is daunting that that first throw. But mm. um, oh, it gives you a bit and gliding's very social too. I think it's you know, a great bunch of guys. It's all it's quiet. You know, it's not flying. It's just really nice. So it's a uh, it's a different world again, you know. I do like the other stuff, but I'm just finding the gliding is very social. And um, and I was listening to Alexis's podcast where you were saying you would love to get into the big gliders, and I think you would absolutely love it, Andrew. No, I will. I, I, I yeah. know. I'm like you. We have got a lot in common. We have got a lot in common, mm. Ray. You play guitar, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, well, I've been playing since I was seven. I've got a guitar. Oh, it's good thing. The guitar's right next to me here. But oh, we, we like motorbikes. Reach, yeah? I can't reach it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like motorbikes. You you, you yeah. model aeroplanes, the gliding thing. I know I can totally re relate to what you were saying is that I do love flying aerobatics, but I know that the older I get, the less proficient I am naturally going to be. And one thing I like about gliding is that, when I fly aerobatics and with other models, you're always trying to be precise. You're always trying to yeah. focus on making the plane fly cleanly because it's, it's when you're flying a powered plane, you can tell when you're not flying cleanly. With a glider, 
you don't need to be as concerned about that because now what I'm doing is I'm trying to just find lift. So I don't need to fly a straight yeah. line. I just need to fly somewhere to see if there's lift. And I'm 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 thinking about things in a different way. And the flying component of it is only part of the puzzle, not the majority of the puzzle. And so yeah. going out gliding yeah. as you get older, like I, I've said this publicly on this podcast that if I was going to compete in anything, it'd be gliding. Uh yeah. Uh, and and definitely as I get older, I think I will definitely do more and more gliding. And I was saying to a friend today that, you know, summer's around the corner kind of, and, and by then here in Victoria should be let loose. And I said, the I am can't wait to get my gliders out flying this summer. It's going to be my main yeah. focus in summer is to grab those gliders off the shelf and go flying because I've got some really nice ones that still have to be flown. Yeah, in South Australia, you were saying that, you know, a bit of an epicenter of the globe. And I think we're pretty spoiled for flying sites and everything here, more so than some of the other states. Um, we're pretty lucky in that respect. And, um, you know, flying the gliders, a lot of guys will go up there, go, and they'll stay up for an hour. I, I, I've sort of had enough after about 25 minutes because I actually like the takeoff the airtime and I love watching the landing. So I'm happy to do a lot of shorter flights in a day. I remember Mike O'Reilly made me laugh one day. The, the lift was just, I said, where's the lift? Anywhere. And <laughs> I, I I had my camera up, and no joke, I had full spoiler out, a 60-degree angle of bank, and I'm leaning on the stick, and the bloody thing's still going up. Yeah. Like, this is not good. And it was getting rather small. I'm thinking, I'm not enjoying this right now. And I got out of the thermal, and um, I was coming down, and I said, oh, oh, I've had enough. There's too much lift. And, and, and this voice, which is Mike O'Reilly, goes, too much lift. What kind of a glider pilot are you? I said, one with a really stiff neck, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so I landed, so I just laughed. And uh, so, yeah, I just, yeah, everyone has their different flying style. I, I just like going up and down, fly around for a bit, and I'm pretty happy. And I looped my parat for the first time, what, three weeks ago when we had an aerotone? And I went, and I did lots of them. And I went, okay, that does that all right. I probably won't do it again. Yeah. I don't know. I, said, I did it. It was fine. Um, but the coma, I probably never will. It's just not an aeroplane. It just looks nice as flying around, and uh, it's very relaxing. So I really enjoy the the big gliders. My my next project is a uh, um, uh, my friend Steve. Where I've got my good friend Steve. I've hooked, I've got him hooked on on gliding now as well. And um, we both we got all the plans blown up for a, a really big Waco CG4A assault glider. What's it Ugly it's going to look so good, two of them. Yeah. What is it? A, a Waco CG4A. It's what they towed behind the Dakota to take all the troops into Normandy. Well, that's like a big box. It is. It's ugly. It is, I had a big free flight one that flew great. That is the ugliest glider I've ever seen. But I wonder how that'll fly. Fantastic. Look at that. It won't be the world's stunning performer, but... Me and Steve are going to have one each, so two of them coming in to land together are going to look spectacular. It just basically looks like a bomber without engines. Oh, it's just ugly as sin that it flies well. Yeah, so uh, it just looks good. It's something different. So I like something different. We yeah. want to see things like that. You know, we want to see different different models. I, I'm fortunate that at my local club there's a couple of great blokes that um, – uh, do like aero toes. Uh, they they take it in turns. They, yeah. they they take they they share like a cub, and um and they've yeah. got it down to a fine art. They it is like clockwork. The two of them working together, 
Um, and they're yeah. just so calm and they are so good to be around. You know, I've said this to them, I love being at the field with you guys and we sort of share the strip and, and they're so, you know, I'll say, oh, can I go for a fly? Yeah, yeah no problem because you, you trust them. You, they know what they're doing. And I always say, well, tell me if, you know, Tell me if I'm annoying you with my with my motor running because I'll come and land for you. You know, go, no, no, don't worry, just go and fly. We don't care. And anyway, um, you know, they'll say, okay, I'm going to come for a landing. Yeah, no problem. I'll stay out of your way, kind of thing. And um, but yeah, they, they just have so much fun flying these things. Uh, it, like, it's it's, a, it's Tim Morland is one of them, and Tim Tim uh, shoots a lot of videos and stuff uh, when he goes to the field, and he's been playing around with cameras on the glider and um, commentary where he he talks he, he talks to a recorder so he can match the the the, the voice his voice on the ground and the plane flying and, and not that he's commentating on his flight or whatever, but he might you know com- you know give some insight as to what's happening from the ground and what it looks like like you know. Trying to fly through through fog. That was last last year. Alan Moore does exactly that. Alan Moore, yeah, he's great. Yeah, technology yeah, now, yeah. Yeah, I've seen That's a lot nice of his videos. Stuff. Stuff. I just love flying with him. So uh, yeah, and he takes great film and photos of everything, and uh, really cool. I think you're um and, uh, that slope soaring availability of good slopes in South Australia seems to be quite yeah, high. Yeah, we're pretty lucky in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he, here in Melbourne. You know, I can do a little bit of slope soaring down at a local yacht club down the road, um, you know, 10 minute yeah. drive for me, but it's not the greatest sort of site because there's plenty of people and car parks and all that kind of stuff around. But uh, yeah, everything's a bit, bit further out for us to um, to get to to get on the slope. But um, you know, we've got some decent I've got a slope. holiday place up at a place called Port Clinton, which is an hour and a quarter from here up around the, up the uh, York Peninsula. And uh, just outside the caravan park is about a 30-foot cliff, and I fly my gentle lady and I've just flown a few aeroplanes off there and I get a nice southerly sea breeze. But if you go a bit further down to Ardross and there's some really nice spots there to fly. Um, you know, not, not, I probably wouldn't fly my big stuff, but just your other stuff, yeah, great fun down there. Because so, uh, they're quiet, they don't bother anybody, and, uh, yeah, it's great. There's something about um, holiday houses and gliders. Because I've, <laughs> yes. I've got a holiday house and, and you know, one of the – Big things I do there is just take the glider out, you know. Even the old foamy radian gliders, which you know they actually fly. I've, oh, had, yeah. I've had to pull out of Bedia Thermal. I, I get that uh, that height anxiety that you're talking about, where I think, okay, uh, this is getting really uh, high now, and um, yes, I, I'm not going to be able to see it soon. And if an, if a plane comes along, I'm sure I'm way too high, so I'm just going to get out of it. And and in some ways, yeah, you, you've got that lift, stay in it for a while, but okay. Isn't the, th- the yeah. thrill of the hunt the thing that keeps us going? Like, oh yes, we found that lift. Let's go. Let's circle up again. That um, so, someone's been telling. Was Alexis? I think was telling me about uh, GPS racing. Yes, yes. Um, I watch them do that. Um, but for some reason, uh, it, it, it's not for me. But uh, I like watching it. I see the guys doing it. Yeah, I just, I guess it's just not something that you know um, really appeals to me. But uh, yeah, but. Strokes for folks, isn't it? That's right. Well, that's that's a good thing. Even even if you just look gliding, uh, look at gliding as a category. There's a lot of choice within the gliding scene. Uh, yeah. And so you know, if you're really into gliding, yeah, you can you can try everything from discus launch to slope to scale to uh, you know electric launch to you know you name it. You know, I'm really looking forward to. I've got an F5J competition glider that I haven't flown electric launch and. Uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to catching up with the guys down here in Victoria that sort of compete and just um, 
spending a day with them and, and flying that thing and just flight after flight. And, you know, it's 10-minute working time, so every 10 minutes you're back on the ground. And that's perfect yeah. for my short attention span. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. I guess I'm a bit the same too. That's why I do short flights and I I like to scratch around at a lower altitude just then along with the staff. If I can't, I come in land. Then Greg, Greg, our chief tug pilot, is like, tow me up again. He's, he's always happy. He's never, ever sort of like, oh, I've had enough. And he goes, ah, oh, you want to go up again? Up to go again, you know. It's, it's, it's great like that. I'll never forget my first aerotone. That <laughs> I, I built this beautiful quarter-scale glider. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've got to hook it behind an aeroplane on a test flight and tow it up. And I was absolutely terrified. I was a nervous wreck for about the 10 days before I knew it was going to happen. And everyone's going, oh, you'll be all right. I've seen you fly, Ray. And Mike O'Reilly's going, I've seen you fly. You'll be fine. I'm going, oh. And they said, just keep the wings level, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's, everyone's reassuring me it's okay. And I'm like, oh, it's easy. I'm going, oh. And off I went behind this big Pawnee. Up we got, punched off, flew around, coming with this beautiful Andy. And I sat there on the grass and went, wow. And then I went over to him. I said, I've got a bone to pick with you guys. What's that? And I said, why didn't you tell me it was that easy? I said, we told you it was easy. No, why didn't you tell me it was that easy? <laughs> so I've been stressing for nothing. Thanks for nothing, you know. And uh, a bit of a laugh and I went, wow, it's just, yeah. And after two of them, I was I felt like a bloody absolute expert and old timer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, nothing to it. Have you ever flown in full-size glider? Yes, many, many years ago. Yeah, a blemish. And a, oh, a friend yeah. of mine keeps threatening to take me up in uh, another one here on a weekend. And I just haven't had a chance to get out and do it. But I will. The better weather's coming, so I will. I had a guest, Russell Edwards, a few, few episodes ago, and uh, he's gone into full-size gliding. He said, you've got to come out. We'll go for a fly. And I'm like, yeah, because I had I had a bit of a fly. And you know, I said in that podcast how that sitting in a, a full-size glider being tugged up by um you know Pawnee or something like that. Uh, yeah. That yeah. view from the front just it was as if I could reach out and touch the Pawnee that was pulling yeah. us up, and yeah. it was just it's just a surreal thing sitting in an aeroplane having another aeroplane tow you up with this a rope connected to you. It's just it's just a phenomenal uh, thing. But uh, the thing that blew my mind is how safe I felt sitting in a glider. I just still cannot believe how comfortable I felt just sitting in there. It was just beautiful, but. Slope soaring with a bunch of friends all being up at the same time is probably one of the most joyous social occasions you can have flying model aeroplanes. Oh, yeah. Slope soaring on your own if you do a test flight, yeah, it's okay for about half an hour. But otherwise, it's just sort of, ah, oh, it's not much fun. But get another three or four guys up there with you, it's just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's a very social exactly right. slope soaring. I, yeah. I did it. My my limit was twenty five minutes by myself, and then I I was sitting there literally looking up and down the slope to see if anybody was going to join me. And, yeah. I, I, and I, after twenty five minutes, I said, "Okay, I'm bored. I'm I'm going to go now." And I start walking <laughs> away, and then this other guy came with this foamy wing, and I thought, "Oh, I'm going to have a buddy." So I launched again, and he just didn't want to talk to me. And I think what he was doing, he, <laughs> I think he flies hand gliders because he had a hand glider on the top of his car, and he was using oh, okay. the model to test the lift lift. So he okay. literally yeah. threw threw the wing out, flew it around a bit and then made a decision and then he walked off and then I went, oh, I'm back by myself. So I landed and left and he, mm. he said see you later when I was in the car park but I was hoping he was yeah. going to say and have a bit of a chat with me and just, you know, yeah. make it a bit more enjoyable. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, being let loose to be able to get back and enjoy those kind of things. Now, when it comes to um, 
bucket list models. Have you got have you got a list of models that you'd love to uh, love to build? Oh, geez, that's a tough call, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'd love to build a fairy swordfish one day. <laughs> that, that probably won't happen. What um, happened? Uh, just, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I've pretty much built nearly everything I've always wanted to do, but I guess you're always going to have something that you wish you'd built, but uh, I think uh, I'm just sort of running out of steam and time a bit now to do that, uh, particularly with the gliding. I'd rather put that effort into another another glider. Um, I'm sort of, you know, the, the, the power stuff's right. I'm just moving away from it a little bit. And, um, I've, I've got a few electric models. I've got a I've got a Grum and Albatross flying boat that I keep up at the holiday house when the tide comes in, and that's a lot of fun. But uh, bucket list models, yeah, it's uh, swordfish. I just can't think of um, anything else off the top of my head I'd really want to sort of make before I'm gone. It's hard to say. Yeah. You'd need a big radial for that fairy swordfish. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. Imagine that. That'd be <laughs> It'd nice. be great. Biplanes. Uh, Gee, biplanes are just more work, though. Yeah, I've got a quarter-scale albatross. Yeah. I I've had engine troubles with it. It's giving me the shits, and I just I, I put it back up on the shelf in the shed in disgust about two years ago, and I just I haven't had the time to get – I know what the problem is. It's an easy fix. It just hasn't happened. But it, it will. Yeah, just priorities, you know. Do you find that you've got some models in your, in your hangar that are just – have always been trouble-free and reliable and you've always got fond oh, memories yeah. of flying them and then you've got some that have just been trouble from the start that you can never gel with? Yeah, pretty rare. I think I've only had one or two of those. Everything else seems to be pretty good. But uh, just, yeah, this albatross has been a bit of a thorn in my side because it used to be perfect and it just all of a sudden got the shits with me and I thought, okay. And uh, I thought I'd fixed it and then... Um, yeah, it's just a little minor problem, which I, I I know what it is. I'll fix it, but I just haven't got around it yet because it's a lovely aeroplane to fly. It's absolutely beautiful. But, um, and my friend's got a quarter-scale slot with putt, and we sort of fly around low level together, and they look great. You know? but, uh, I'll get I'll get around to it. You don't, <laughs> but, uh, you don't have engine problems with yeah. your glider, so... Uh... No, absolutely not, no. Only the tug. As long as the tug works, it's all right. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, no, that's all I... Can't really be any more specific than that on, on on bucket list. I'll probably remember something in a minute. What about events? Uh, uh, do you like attending events? And what are some of your favourite events that you've been to? Um, well, I I, I go to Kudamundra to have a, a week of flying with my mates once to twice. Usually, April October. October is always a bit problematic for me, but I always go. You know, April May is non-negotiable. I'm I'm always there. Um. I'd love to. Uh, I, I was really hoping to get to the free flight nationals at um, West Wyalong, but that's all been cancelled because of Cuda. Um, and I, I was at Cuda um, uh, Mundra a couple of years ago, and I drove down to Richmond to fly a free flight event on the Sunday morning, then drove back to Cuda Mundra. So I'd like to get to a lot more interstate events, but it's just time and. Just you know, driving that distance is not it's not as much fun as it used to be when you were a bit younger. You could do it in, in your stride. Now it's like that's a bit of an effort, you know. So uh, I sort of take two days to get everywhere I go now and I usually tow my caravan behind me and put all the aeroplanes in that. So um 
But when this COVID clears up, and I'm I'm hoping to retire in the next sort of anywhere from two to five years, somewhere between what happened, I'm hoping to get to a lot more events in Victoria and maybe New South Wales as, as time allows. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. uh, you'll uh, once you retire, you'll have that time that you need, and you can just uh, treat it oh, as absolutely. holidays. Yeah. Bit, bit of a bit of a trip. I'm just over everything else at the moment. <laughs> I want to retire. I want to see you at Watertown with a big glider. Oh, I tell you, well, you know, my friend's got one that's sitting there that he wants me to buy. A, uh, it's a Hangar 9 ASW, I think it is. And yeah, that'll do. But, um, but my problem is, Ray, I'm running out of space to store everything. Oh, yeah, don't we? Yeah. Why do you think you've been motivated to continue to, to, to build models and things like that? Well, the building, I think, it's, it's a bit of a drug, you know. It's hard to explain. It's just that feeling of, oh, get in the room and, and build and, uh, and make something. And, and my wife, you know, she says, uh, I can't believe you can take a flat sheet of paper and it turns into a three-dimensional flying machine that looks like the real thing. And she goes, how do you do that? And I carve away the bits that don't look like an aeroplane, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a magic thing making things, and you know, just you might just put the airplane aside and think, oh, I'm going to make that part of it because I'm in the mood to machine that up on the lathe today. I want to do this because yeah, I make all my own oleo legs and everything. I make everything like a lot of guys use oleo legs on their models, and they're just quite generic, the robot stuff. And I I don't like them very much, and um, I make mine out of aluminium, and I machine them up their exact replicas of a full size. So, that's the sort of thing I like to do, and um, they they all work rather well, and I'll, I'll make them for other people. And uh, I even made the spoilers in my um, Pratt glider because it's got those shimp earth things, and I needed a set for it, and they were seventy bucks a set from the US. And with the exchange rate and the way the dollar was, by the time they got to my doorstep, you're looking at another three hundred dollars, and I went, "What?" And I looked at the real thing, the pictures, and I went. I can make those. So I went to Bunnings and bought 20 bucks worth of aluminium angle and some bits and pieces, and I made them, and they work a treat, and they look just like the real thing. So I find that sort of stuff very satisfying. It, that word satisfying, I think, is you, know, you can be satisfied with flying a model plane, but that satisfaction of building something and then looking yeah. at it and saying, I put that together, and it, it's a, it's – Often a lot of other people on the on the periphery of that model can't appreciate that that maybe not be involved in aeromodeling, but that mm. that look that even even when I've finished even an ARF model and I look at it and I've finished setting it all up and it's sitting in the living room, and I turn around to the family and go, Look at that. Doesn't it look great? Yeah. And you get all excited, even if it's a foamy <laughs> or something like that, doesn't it look great? And they sit there going, yeah, it's just another model plane. Go, no, it's not. I just put that together. And it's going to actually work, I think. But, yeah, yeah, it's 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 it, it's tricky. Have you got a good building space? Because that's a big one of my bugbears. Oh, I've got a six meter by six meter room in the house. Oh, you're lucky. Because the double garage is underneath it, so it's the same size as a double garage, and that's my. It's called the war office. There's a big sign on the, the door of the war office, and um, everything's in here, and that's where I'm sitting at the moment. I've got my big TV and. All my World War Two posters and aeroplane paintings, and me, me racing a motorbike, and yeah, it's my little my little man cave, my space, and I, I do all the heavy, dirty work outside. But it's so nice to be able to build 
in the house where it's warm or it's cool, you know. And uh, I spent too many years as a young bloke building in sheds, freezing to death or having sweat drip off the end of my nose under the model, you know. And that's fine when you're 20-something, but now, no, it's just it's nice to be able to do it up here. And, and my wife says, I really like that because she'll bring me a cup of tea and we still talk to each other and, you know, because it just sort of comes off the kitchen there and we, 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 we can talk to each other from one room to the other and... Uh, it's just nice, uh, nice to have this, have a room just like this up here. Yeah. Oh, you're lucky. You are very, very yeah. lucky. I, yeah, I, I am. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's getting harder and harder to, uh, with the way property prices are going. Trying to find houses that are suitable for uh, for building models. Gee, it's 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 not an easy task nowadays. But uh, yeah, I just no. think that if I, 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 I at some point in time we'll have to move house. You've done some amazing things. Just looking at some of the the, uh, the models that you've built, but I've told you earlier that I've got a signature move. That you'll know that we're getting coming to the end of the podcast because I'm going to ask you this very yeah. important question that everybody wants to hear, and that is, what is your all time favourite model that you've owned? It'd be the same as my all time favourite aeroplane of all time, and that is the Douglas Sky Raider. The Douglas Sky Raider. Yeah, Tell last us a bit about big that. piston engine fighter bombers. Yeah. Did, is that something you scratch built? Oh, yeah, it was my own own plan. And I've actually, I, I want to build another one. That will probably be one of my last sort of powered models uh, because um, Sarek, uh, who sell all the short kits for models in England, they've actually got a short kit for one exactly the same size as the one that I drew up. Oh, so really? I'm thinking I'll take, the, I'll take the lazy route this time and... Um, but it, it it flew great, and it, I've still got it hangs up in the from the roof of the model club, and I flew it for about eighteen years. I just wore it out. Never it went through two engines, two exhaust systems, uh, two sets of undercarriage, and it just kept going. But eventually, it just it started to get tired, and I thought, oh god, if I keep flying it, it's just going to fail. So I thought I'd rather just hang it up before it fails. So I never had a bad day with it. Really, it was. A brilliant aeroplane so i'd love to have another one and um the love affair with that aeroplane started when i was quite young and my dad was watching the obligatory saturday afternoon war movie and it was the bridge that took re and uh, i walked into the lounge and these four sky raiders flew over and i went oh what are they dad they got sky raiders son and the love affair started and it's just always been my favorite aeroplane you're right in saying that you like building models that are different because yeah. I have not seen one model that you have that I've seen anybody else really fly or build. It's it's you know generally something a bit different. We we need more people like you, Ray. <laughs> that can build some of these great models. I tell you what, you've done a fine job. Well, Ray, it's it's really been a pleasure having you on the Flat Out RC podcast. Uh, your story is is a really good one, and uh, you know. I've said this so many times before, but I love doing this podcast and just you know, oh, yeah. sitting down with people and and we've never met before, but one day we will, and yeah. just talking about our passion of aero modelling. I'll tell you what, aren't we lucky to be able to just do that and enjoy this oh, great yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what would be good, Andrew, if uh, we get together and have a glide or a fly somewhere, make sure you bring your guitar too and we have some fun at night. We'll, I'll, I'll, I will hold you to that. I will, we can we can do a bit of a we can entertain the masses easily. I think you and yes. I. Yes. Yeah. Well, Ray, all the best. Thank you for joining me. As I said, and Thank keep you, up the Andrew. great it's work. Been fantastic. Yeah, you're an awesome guy. Thanks, Ray.
Thank you for listening to my story. <laughs> About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Ray Melton. Really enjoyed my chat with him. Such a great guy. Uh, was was We could have talked for hours, really. Uh, we've got a lot in common, as I said earlier, and uh, a good guy that's building some really amazing model. I love how he's building things that are different. I love to see different things being built, not the uh, you know, not another Piper Cub. Even though I've got nothing against Piper Cubs, but we see a lot of Piper Cubs and sticks and things like that. When someone goes and does something outside of the mold, you've got to appreciate that. So thanks for joining me again. Don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast whilst you're there. Leave me a five-star rating. Give me a good review. Help me promote the podcast so we can get more listeners onto this bandwagon. And whilst you're in the mood for showing love, don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel, the Instagram page, the Facebook page. Everything keeps on rolling along. Guarantee you'll have another episode next week of this podcast. I've got the interview in the bag and there'll be more coming after that. So big thank you once again and don't forget flat out ngh the coupon code to use to get a 10 percent discount on ngh petrol engines from rcworld.com.au just visit rcworld.com.au in stock ready to go and a 10 percent discount is you is yours for being a flat out rc listener using flat out ngh as the coupon code see you next week i'll be back life keeps on rolling on lucky we've got this great hobby of aero modeling